Hello and welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. My name is Mary Jo Parrish. I'm the founder of Kingdom Builders. And today we're going to be discussing rescuers and bystanders. And for any of you who are new or not really sure what's going on, I just want you to know that you are so deeply loved and you are always welcome here. I always like to start off with some funny stories because the father loves when his children laugh. I was talking to one of my friends about the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and she said, oh, I have to tell you a funny story. And I got her permission so I could use this in the podcast. But she said many years ago, she had not been to confession for a long time. And so she was really nervous before she went in there. And she got in there, and the priest was very kind. And he you know, listened to her, and he said, okay, good job. Now to go ahead and do your act of contrition. And that's a prayer that we say in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and just to kind of talk to God about being sorry for our sins. And so she begins, Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And then she says, Oh crap, I just said the Pledge of Allegiance. And the priest says, it's okay, it's okay. Christian's just telling God you're sorry. You can use your own words. That's all right. And she said, oh, crap. I said crap in confession. I said it again. She started laughing. The priest was really, really kind and gentle. She's like, no one's had a bad, worse experience than me in confession. So if you've gone through that, then you can go through anything. So in any case, if any of you are feeling the least bit like you don't want to go to confession because you're worried you might say something wrong, you're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, I bet. And so just go ahead and go. Go ahead and just welcome the grace and mercy of our Lord and get to confession. Let's go ahead and say our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. This is a canticle of Mary. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear Him. He has shown might with His arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hunger He has filled with good things, the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped Israel His servant, remembering His mercy, according to His promise to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Kingdom Builders, we always talk about the first thing is our foundation. We have three things to build a healthy foundation. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. No matter how stressful our day is, no matter how many distractions get in the way, we always pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day so that we are allowing ourselves to be loved by the Father. Number two, we go to church on Sundays. If you're in the midst of the pandemic and you're listening to this, if you feel comfortable going to restaurants, you need to go to church. That's a divine commandment, not a divine suggestion. So we pray for 10 minutes a day. We go to church on Sundays. And the last one is we stay in a state of grace. And that means if you're struggling with any serious sin, you find a way to get free of it. You pray to the Holy Spirit, show me what to do. And you get to the Sacrament of Reconciliation or self-help group or individual counseling so that you can be free of the heavy thing that is keeping you from all the graces that our Lord wants to give you. And when we have that solid foundation, then we can properly build ourselves, build others, and build the church. So today we're discussing rescuers and bystanders. So I was reading a book called 
the originals, and it's actually a secular book, but has some cool statistics in it. One of the statistics was this Holocaust research that was done. So Samuel and Pearl Olinger, it's a sociologist and an education researcher, they were studying aspects of the Holocaust, and they researched the non-Jews who risked their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust. And so they deemed those as rescuers. And then they compared those heroic people with individuals from similar neighborhoods that did not save Jews. They did not hide Jews in their house. And they called them the bystanders. And they were like, what makes them different? What makes the rescuers different than the bystanders? Like, what would make a person want to hide Jews in their house at risk of death for them and their family or not? Like, what's the different makeup? So they researched their educations, same. Occupations, very similar. Homes, very similar. Political views, religious beliefs, very similar. Equally rebellious childhoods, very similar. And they were just kept thinking, what makes them different? And so they went back to how these people were parented. What did their parents perhaps do differently? And that's where they found the answer. The difference between the rescuers and the bystanders was the guidance of their parents when they were young. The bystander parents focused on enforcing compliance with rules for their own sake. So it'd be like if you had kids telling them, obey because I said so, all right? Well, the rescuer parents parented differently. They encouraged their children to consider the impact of their actions on others. They would use explanations reasoning, suggestions of ways to remedy harm done, or just give them advice. Those rescuer parents loved their children through words and through relationship. They took the time to form them by talking to them. So I'm praying about this and thinking about the word rescuer and praying about the name of Jesus. That just keeps coming to my mind, the name of Jesus. And the Hebrew meaning for Jesus is God saves or God rescues. So Jesus is the rescuer. He's our rescuer. And not only is he the rescuer, like we're part of the body of Christ. He invites us to share in that title as well. Yet in our world today, so many of God's sons and daughters choose not to share in that title. They are bystanders. They don't want to be a rescuer. We are surrounded. We're living in a world just full of bystanders. So many people fear speaking truth or acting in truth. You hear this like, well, I don't want to get involved or I don't want to offend someone. And that's just not okay. Those answers are not okay. That's a bystander answer because God is calling us to live in courage. He's calling us to be the rescuers. He's calling us to invite people to speak out, to risk personal attack, to be willing to be inconvenienced. And the thing about being a rescuer is a lot of times it's not some life and death situation. A lot of times it's a little thing. I was thinking back to when I was 14 years old, so many years ago, because I'm 46 now, it was my freshman year in high school, and I went to private high school, and so we wore uniforms, and our religion class decided that they would do an all-day retreat. And I was in a religion class with the most popular girls in my grade, 
and I did not fit in with them. And it was well known that I was not in their group. And when we had our like all day retreat with this religion class, of course, we're allowed to dress down that day and I forget. So everything's still the same. I still forget stuff all the time. So I show up and I'm still in my uniform skirt and everyone else is wearing jeans and tennis shoes. And I'm already feeling mad at myself that, you know, I don't fit, right? I'm isolated. And we go off campus to this little place and the lady leading the retreat was like, okay, now make a poster, blah, blah, blah. So the guys were making a poster and the girls were making a poster and they all get down off their chairs and they're like laying on their bellies, you know, writing with their markers on this poster. And I just was sitting in this chair and I just was hating myself. I was mad at myself for forgetting to dress down. I was mad that I was in this religion class that no one welcomed me. I just, I didn't fit there. And I was just like on the brink of crying. And one of these popular girls named Emily, she said, Mary Jo, come down here, help us make the poster. And I did. And it only took one person's invitation to bring me off of that chair and for me to leave behind my sad, desperate state of affairs. I remember the looks on two of the girls' faces when Emily invited me to lay on my belly and to make this poster. And they looked at her with condemnation. They were mad that she would have the audacity to invite someone who did not belong in their group. And she did not care. She did not care. I could see her be like, whatever, I'm inviting her. So she risked personal attack to invite me in. And years later, I can't tell you what that retreat was about. No idea. But I still remember the feeling of being loved and accepted, being invited as a grown woman, you know, that impacted me so deeply. Someone being willing to be a rescuer to invite the cost of personal attack so that I could join in. And a lot of times the Lord is asking us to do the same thing, just little things that are rescuers, that we're able to share in that title of being a rescuers. I think so many of people are living as bystanders because they don't know God's love. They don't know his voice. They don't know his word. They don't have a relationship with him. And they may think of God as like this grumpy old man, you need to obey me or else. And that's just not who God is. God desires this relationship, just like the rescuer parents wanted to form their children. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to form us. He wants us to experience his presence. And he will fill us with his presence when we allow ourselves, allow our bodies to be his vessels. And so this is from Mark 14, 3 through 14, 9. When Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil, costly, genuine spikenard. She broke the alabaster jar and poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant. Why has there been this waste of perfumed oil? It could have been sold for more than 300 days' wages and the money given to the poor. They were infuriated with her. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me. The poor you will always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anticipated anointing my body for burial. Amen, I say to you. 
Wherever the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, still talking about her. So let's look at that for a minute. Those men say what she did was a waste. And that means, waste means giving away something for little value. But this is the truth, is that nothing can be wasted when we give it to the Messiah. Because Jesus is worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. So what does Messiah mean? It actually means anointed one. And we know through scripture that priests, prophets, and kings were all anointed. Yet, this is the only time in scripture where Jesus is anointed on his head. And he's called the Messiah, right? It's the only time is when she anoints him on his head. Let's think about that perfumed oil. It was expensive. They say in scripture it was worth 300 days wages. So think about how much an average person makes per year, a little bit less than that. That's how much it was worth. And not just that, but the jar that it was held was an alabaster jar. It's an expensive jar. And she broke it open. She was saving nothing for later. She gave Jesus the very best. Her actions say, this vessel exists for the Lord alone. He is worthy of it all. This is from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Few souls understand what God would accomplish in them if they were to abandon themselves unreservedly to him and if they were to allow his grace to mold them accordingly. Just abandoning ourselves to them. What could God accomplish if we abandon ourselves to him? So this lady who breaks that alabaster jar. She's criticized. She's made fun of. She's totally misunderstood. Her generosity is even questioned. Yet she dies to self in order to offer herself as a vessel. She anoints Jesus and prepares him for burial by confirming his unspeakable value. We too are the Lord's vessel. We exist for the Lord alone, and he desires to fill us with what is good, beautiful, and true. Someone who really lives out the beauty of this example, St. Catherine Drexel, totally allowed herself to be used as the Lord's vessel. So if you don't know anything about her, she's American. She was wealthy, refined, educated, and she was raised by her father and stepmother. And her stepmother used to care for the poor and feed the poor. And so she was raised with that. But as her stepmother was dying of cancer, St. Catherine recognized that no matter how much wealth or resources a person has, we all die one day. And then later after that, she personally witnessed the terrible conditions of the Native Americans and African Americans. And so she schedules a meeting with the Pope and says, listen, we need missionaries in the American West. And this is what the Pope replies. Why don't you become a missionary? Woo. And so Catherine prays with that and accepts. She becomes a missionary. So in 1889, the local newspaper there read, Miss Strexel enters a Catholic convent, gives up. 7 million. And just so you can kind of recognize in today's money standards, that 7 million would be worth 200 million. So 
she ends up founding an order called the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. Her order begins over a hundred missions and schools for African Americans and American Indians. And it's like, mm, not so nice, you know. She was, it's like, no, 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 no. She did this with so many barriers. She faced bomb threats, KKK, arson, unjust laws, all these things. She's constantly facing threat after threat after threat. And she just keeps persevering further and further and further. She was criticized. She was made fun of. She was totally misunderstood. Her generosity was even questioned. Yet, she chose to die to self and allow herself to be used as a vessel. One of her quotes is, Ours is the spirit of the Eucharist, the total gift of self. She chose to offer up a life of marriage, children, travel, luxury, to bring souls to Jesus. She was not a bystander. She was a rescuer. And God is calling us to live in courage and be rescuers as well. Jesus wants you to be his vessel. Open yourself up to his presence so he can fill you. You exist for the Lord alone. The Lord is calling you to invite. He's calling you to speak out. He's calling you to risk personal attack. He is calling you to be open, to be inconvenienced, or to be uncomfortable, to bring him his sons and daughters, which were designed for his love. Might be as simple as you sending a text with a Bible quote or sending someone a podcast, but you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are one with him. You are the body of Christ. This is from St. John Udes. Finally, you are one with Jesus, as the body is one with the head. You must then have one breath with him, one soul, one life, one will, one mind, one heart, and he must be your breath heart, love, life, you're all. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.